If you're new at First United Methodist Church, I hope you're not surprised to find out that in a Christian church, we are a people of the book, the Old and New Testaments. Therefore, we focus everything that we do on being faithful and fruitful to the book, the Word of God that comes to us. Pastor Keith this morning is going to share a number of scriptures. Three that provide the backbone for his teaching on confession and repentance are as follows. The first comes from Matthew, the sixth chapter. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins either. And from Colossians chapter 3 verse 13. Bear with one another and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And lastly, our third scripture, also from the words of Jesus from the book of Matthew. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I will tell you not seven times, but 70 times seven. God bless you, Pastor Keith. These are yours. Good morning. morning. We've got a lot of ground to cover, a lot of work to do today, so there's not a lot of stories and and, uh, goofy stuff today, well, other than just me being normal, but as far as the goofiness goes, but this is a a heavy text this morning, a heavy heavy message, because the idea of forgiveness and, and repentance is something that we all need to wrestle with, and we all do wrestle with. And I invite you into a place uh, this morning where you would just let the Lord open your heart up this morning. Let there be nothing hidden. Let there be nothing protected. And let God have his way in your heart this morning as you hear these words. A disciple is quick to forgive and quick to repent. And you, you see from the Lord's Prayer, of course, where Jesus says that we are to pray, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. If it makes it into the Lord's Prayer, it's a pretty big deal, right? Forgiveness and repentance are central to what it means to be a disciple because of what the gospel tells us about ourselves and about God. And of course, uh, we see here in... Uh, this idea of forgiveness, I think we have a wrong slide up there. Can you put the first slide up there? The second one for me here. I'm looking at my notes here and I'm seeing Matthew 25. Yeah, that's from like three weeks ago. We're going to skip that one. You don't want me to preach on that sermon, do you again? Okay. So the gospel tells us about ourselves and about God, first and foremost, that we are all sinners. We are all sinners. And as it is written in Romans 3, verse 10, there is no one righteous, not even one. So, therefore, we can feel free to admit our own sins and also recognize that when people sin against us, it's not so shocking. You see, part of our problem is when we we forget that all of us are sinners, we can tend to overlook our own sins and get hyper-focused on the sins of other people. And, And we can also act completely shocked that someone would do something so offensive and grievous to us. When what we really have to remember is that when people sin, you, you and, and, and I included, we are acting according to our, our, our nature that we inherited from Adam as he fell in the garden. So we should.
shocked at sin in the world. We shouldn't be shocked at sin in our own lives. We should be horrified by it. But we should recognize that this is the condition that all of us live in. We are all sinners. We all need God's grace. So we have to say that first and foremost because if we don't recognize our own need for God's grace, we're going to have a tough time offering that to other people. Secondly, we need to recognize that God is no respecter of persons. He's no respecter of persons. In Acts chapter 10, verse 34, it says, Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. So God doesn't view your sin with any less offense as he does another person's sin. See, this keeps us more focused on how we need to grow rather than on what others have done to us. When we recognize that we're all in the same boat and that God doesn't have a special place in his heart for for me that he doesn't have for you or for your neighbor, that he looks at all of us the same, then we recognize that we're no better or worse than anyone else. So we need to be focused on our own sins just as much as we're focused on the sins of others because... From, the, from God's perspective, we're all the same. See, it helps me forgive others when I realize that my sin is no less than theirs. And thirdly, Christians are fueled by grace. As disciples, we need to let grace be the defining factor of our lives. I love this from Ephesians 4, verse 7. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. See, by nature, we as Christians must be filled with grace in all situations. Grace should define us. And it's tragic in the world when the disciples of Jesus Christ are known more for being judgmental and self-righteous than than they are for being filled with grace. Now, I know that there are lots of situations where it's hard for us to be filled with grace, but nevertheless, as a disciple, that's one of our defining characteristics, to be filled with grace. And then fourthly here, this is important because unforgiveness slash unrepentance is the ultimate sin. The ultimate sin. Now, I know that you've probably been told, as I have, you know, at various points in your Christian instruction, that all sin is the same in God's eyes. And I will tell you that that is not a biblical teaching. There is no biblical teaching that declares that all sin is equal. All sin is offensive to God. All sin is worthy of death. But certainly not all sins are created alike. Some sins have far greater impact and consequence than others. And that's not to downplay any particular sin. It's really to elevate some to even more offense to God. Because there are certain sins that seem to get in direct path between us and God and, 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 and can be more troublesome. And certainly unforgiveness and unrepentance would top this list. And you see the scripture that Pastor Mike read earlier. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Do you feel the weight of that? See, the only unforgivable sin, you know, Jesus talks about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. 
And what, of course, that refers to is the job of the Holy Spirit is to, to lead us to Jesus and to show us our sin. And if we, if we renounce the work of the Holy Spirit, Jesus says there's no forgiveness there. Because ultimately, the unforgivable sin is denying the forgiveness that God wants to give us. Because if we refuse that grace, God will not force it upon us. But it seems also that Jesus is saying here, and in other places, that God's forgiveness towards you and towards me is directly related to the measure of forgiveness that we apply to others. Do not judge, lest you be judged, Jesus said. The measure you give will be given back to you. And I want you to feel that. Because I know it might seem difficult at, at times to, to think that there could be a sin that you could commit that would prevent you from coming in to God's kingdom. But you have to wrestle with what Jesus says. And what he says clearly here is that forgiveness is so important to him, so important to him, that if it's not applied, we could be in big trouble. Big trouble. Let's move on. When we have forgiveness and repentance, it demonstrates that we are disciples of Jesus. It demonstrates that we've understood His grace and that we have applied it to our lives. So first and foremost, forgiveness and repentance demonstrate humility. We demonstrate humility. See, the Bible tells us in in Ephesians 4-2 to be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Now, understand that it requires patience and bearing with one another in order to get through this thing called life in our Christian community. But recognize that humility is a part of forgiveness and repentance. You have to humble yourself, really, if you're going to forgive someone. And you also have to humble yourself if you're going to allow yourself to be forgiven. Secondly, forgiveness and repentance demonstrate love. It demonstrates love, which of course is a defining characteristic of a disciple. Now, we're familiar with the the scripture from 1 Corinthians 13, but there's a special part I want you to pay attention to here. Let's look at this together. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. I want to key in here on this idea where it says, keeps no record of wrongs. See, when you forgive someone, you're recognizing that a debt has been canceled. That ultimately you are saying to a person that whatever you owed to me, I no longer hold against you. I no longer hold that debt against you. It keeps no record of wrongs. Now, do you do that in relationships? See, it's easy to do that sometimes. When a person sins against you or whatever, maybe you don't say anything at the time, but you might keep that one for later, right? You ever bring somebody up, something up to somebody later on and use it against them? There's, a, there's a, a, a couple I know that were going in for marriage counseling, and they were having a rough time. And this is not a joke, by the way. This is a true story. And when they went into the marriage counselor's office, they sat down. And the first thing that happened was the wife pulled out a notebook. 
And in the notebook, she had recorded everything in the last two weeks that he had done to offend her. Now, I don't know, that might be, you know, that that might be the sequel to the movie The Notebook, The Real Notebook. But inside this notebook was listed every sin this guy had committed against his wife and everything that, and, and she pulled that thing open and she began to say, well, you did this, 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 this. And this guy was just like flabbergasted. He had no idea that was coming. But you see, love doesn't operate that way. Love doesn't keep score. Love isn't trying to, to figure out how to one-up each other and how to use something against another person. And when you forgive someone, you are basically, in all ways, canceling whatever debt was owed to you. You're canceling that debt, and you're recognizing that you have been forgiven. See, when you love someone, you don't keep score. Forgiveness and repentance also demonstrate gratitude to God. In Luke twenty-two thirty-three. To 34, we read that when they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him, along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Now, this should make you feel grateful because upon his being crucified, Jesus is extending the grace of forgiveness to those who are in the very act of crucifying him. And you might say, well, I wasn't there. It wasn't me. Our sin is what nailed Jesus to the cross, not the Romans, not the Jews. He went to the cross for the sins that you have committed and for the sins that I have committed. And in that very act of being punctured and wounded, he cries out to God in the form of a prayer, Father, forgive them. That should make us incredibly grateful to what he's done. We're grateful when someone goes out of their way for us, aren't we? We're grateful when someone sacrifices something dear to themselves for our benefit, especially when we didn't deserve it. We're grateful when someone lets us cut in line at a, at a, at a restaurant or, a, or at a checkout because they have more items than we do. We're grateful when someone uh, says something nice to us or when someone cuts us some slack in our lives. This is Jesus' ultimate example, and we need to be grateful. And when we forgive and we show forgiveness to others, it shows that we have gratitude toward God. And 1 John four eleven says, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. We forgive because we are grateful to God for forgiving us. We forgive because we have been forgiven. So what happens when we don't forgive? What happens when, despite the truth of what we know that we should be doing, we refuse? And we hang on to those sins committed against us, and maybe we hang on to those sins that we've committed. What are the consequences? What happens? Well, unforgiveness leads to many, many perils and many horrible things that are counter to our discipleship. First, unforgiveness leads to pride. It leads to pride. One of my favorite teachers is is a a man named Tim Keller. He pastors a Redeemer Church in New York City. And I heard a sermon that he preached on forgiveness a few years ago. And and one of the things that I remember him saying was this, that it is impossible to deny forgiveness to someone without feeling superior to them. Think about that for a second. 
When you refuse to forgive someone, you have placed yourself in a position above them in your own heart. Because you've said about them, their sin is far greater than mine. And and, and I would never do what they have done. Therefore, I'm justified in, in withholding my forgiveness to them. And of course, pride is, is one of the most grievous sins that we can commit because it elevates ourselves to a place outside of what the gospel tells us about ourselves and God. So when we fail to forgive, we have to watch out for pride because it is right there. You feel superior to anyone that you have not forgiven, and so do I. Secondly, unforgiveness leads to shame. It leads to shame. It leads to, to recognizing that we're not living up to the Christian values that God has, has, has given us. We're not living up to Christ's words when he says, forgive those who sin against you. There's a part of us inside that recognizes that we're not doing what we should do. Consequently, when we haven't confessed our sins to others, there's an element of shame there too. It keeps us hidden away in the dark. It keeps us from, from relationships. We recognize ultimately that things aren't right with us and that can lead us into a place of shame which is soon followed by bitterness. Now, I describe bitterness as the feeling and the, the, the attitude that happens when you're just angry and upset and mad and you don't really know why anymore. When you're just hurt And you don't understand. Maybe at a point in your life there was something that happened and it was that thing that that upset you. And because instead of dealing with it and and forgiving it or confessing it, you choose to, to, to just try to cover it up like an oyster does to make a pearl and you just protect that part of your heart and you just keep that thing hidden away. And, and But what happens, of course, is we fail in that because that unforgiveness, that seed of unrepentance or unforgiveness, it begins to infect every part of our lives, every part of our soul, and we wind up in a place of just being bitter all the time. And maybe we don't even realize why. We're just sour about life and about relationships and about what happened and about that person or those people, or ourselves, or the church, or the world. And we wind up infected. That's what can happen. It's dangerous, because once you become bitter, you can't treat the problem locally anymore. It's kind of like if you get, a, if you get a, an infection in your, in your finger, and you don't treat it, and it spreads throughout your body... Once it's, it's overwhelmed your entire body, you can't go back and, and put some medication on your finger anymore. It's spread throughout your entire body, and all of your body must now be treated. The same is true when it comes to bitterness. If that, that seed of unrepentance or unforgiveness begins in a small place in your heart, and you make the mistake of thinking that you can just build a Christian life around that without dealing with that, you soon realize it spreads And now there's so many other areas of your life that are infected that you require something far greater. Bitterness also leads to hatred. It leads to a place of being so angry and hurt by a human being that you genuinely want not the best for them, but the worst for them. It leads to hatred. And we all know the Bible says that it's impossible to follow Jesus and hate your brother or sister. And hatred often leads to revenge. Hatred leads to a place where, where you want to get the other person back. And maybe you would never act those things out 
in the real world, but in your mind, you've wounded them a thousand times. In your mind, you've cursed them. You've rejoiced at, at bad things that have happened to them in their lives, and you've wanted evil for them. And of course, you would never understand that that is consistent with discipleship, but nevertheless, it remains in your life because of bitterness. Which, of course, then, revenge can lead to isolation. Can lead to isolation. I've told you the story of my next-door neighbor that I lived next to for about 12 years. He's a wonderful old guy. His name was Mr. Hill, and him and his wife were in their mid-80s, and no one ever came to visit. No children, no grandchildren. And he would stand and talk with me for 15 minutes every time I would see him and smiled and was nice. And I always wondered, what was this guy's deal? And I asked a neighbor, did Mr. and Mrs. Hill not have children or something? Or do they live far away? No, they have kids and a couple of them live locally. But you see, years prior, there was a, a, a fight and words were said and doors were slammed and relationships were closed and, and sins were not forgiven and bitterness ensued and then it was followed by isolation. That's tragic, isn't it? It's tragic when relationships are forever destroyed because of a lack of forgiveness, a lack of grace. But that's exactly what can happen when we refuse to forgive from the heart. See, that's why Jesus is so passionate about it, because his model for us is is a life of joyful community. And he knows that forgiveness destroys that and can become our ultimate destiny. In in C.S. Lewis's book, The Great Divorce, uh, it's a picture of Lewis's... uh, not so much theological, but just, just dreaming about what hell might look like. And in Lewis's description of hell, he pictures a land uh, where every person is in their ultimate freedom allowed to do whatever they want to do, which ultimately leads to their isolation. And because the expanse of hell is infinite, people are allowed to move farther and farther and farther away from each other until there's infinite distance between all people that are in this horrible reality and their humanity disappears completely and they cease to be what anything of the image of God had put on them. You see, that's what happens when we fail to forgive. When we fail to forgive. So what are we to do? What are we to do? How do we deal with this? Well, the Bible tells us that we're to confess our sins. We're to confess our sins. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So yes, absolutely, acknowledging that we are sinners, acknowledging that our sin separates us from God, we are to go to God and confess our sins to Him and humble ourselves. And we have the promise here that God will forgive us. But the Bible doesn't just stop with this idea of just you and Jesus. James 5, 6 tells us that we are to confess our sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. I think there's something to this connection between confession to each other and our healing. See, James tells us that that you shouldn't just keep your sin problem between you and God because it's not just about you and God. You have problems with others. We're to go to them and to confess our sins. And that will bring us healing. Many of us struggle with this, don't we? 
we'll confess to God because God knows everything anyway, right? We've come that far. We've made it through like the second lesson of confirmation. But there's a greater level there, a greater level of humility that comes when you go to another human being and say, I was wrong, I have sinned against you, and I'm sorry, will you forgive me? There's a greater level of humility there, but there's also a greater level of blessing there when we do it, and a greater level of healing. So we're to confess our sins to God, we're to confess our sins to each other, and we are to live at peace. Romans 12, 18 through 20 says, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. He says, on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. He says, if he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Now, we talked about this in my, in my family devotions a couple of days ago about heaping burning coals on their head. What does that mean, right? Well, this is from Proverbs. It's an Old Testament picture of what it means to, to bring someone to a place of, of, of conviction. And when you, when you extend grace and love toward those who've sinned against you, that's a way of God showing them their faults. So we're to forgive completely. And second, or, or, or moving on here, we're to let it go and stop treating people as though they owe us something. Let it go and stop treating people as if they owe you something. You see, when you forgive, you've canceled the debt. That's what God has done for you. He's canceled your debt. And when you forgive, that's the way it should be for you. I want to share with you a, a text from Matthew's Gospel about this from 18. I'm just going to read it to you. You won't see it on your screen. And this is the text Mike read earlier this morning. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Now, before, we, before I read the rest here, understand this. In the Jewish context, the Jewish teaching was that you were to forgive up to three times a day. So Peter's like, hey, I'm Jesus. I'm, I'm, going, I'm going above and beyond here. Up to seven times, right, Jesus? Right? Because you want us to be even more righteous than these Pharisees, Right? And Jesus says, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. He says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me. He begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me, and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay off the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you. 
unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Stop treating people in your life as if they owe you something. To forgive means that the debt has been canceled. And he says, forgive from your heart. Forgive from your heart. Now, why does he say that? Because you know what? You can't really forgive from your head. Because your head wants to be logical. And your head wants to say, yeah, but they did this and they did that. And and they don't deserve it. And, and, And what if they do it again? But that's why Jesus says, forgive from your heart. Because even though it's not logical, it's supernatural. And remember, ultimately, this is about you and God. Not about you and others. Because if you're going to forgive somebody because they deserve it, it'll never happen. Jesus deserves it. Jesus deserves it. We forgive because we have been forgiven by Jesus. Not because another human being deserves it. Because the truth is, we don't deserve it either. We don't deserve it either. Now, we're going to take communion in just a few moments here. And every, every time we do communion, you know, they're, they're, we run the risk of, of just falling into the same old, same old with that. But there's one thing that I want to think about differently today. And it's one more scripture I want to share with you. And it's this scripture, Matthew 5, 23 and 24. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Now, I know it's Communion Sunday, and we have an altar, and we have a place to put your gifts. And I also know it's, it's you know, Budget Sunday we're talking about, and of course we want people to come forward with their gifts. But Jesus wants more our hearts. So I'll tell you what, if, if rather than come forward today to give your gift, you've heard that scripture, you've felt the weight of that, and you need right now to go and make something right with someone, or to go and offer grace to someone, then, then get up and Go do it. Don't let a moment stop you from doing that. Don't let a church ritual or a routine get in the way of you being right with Jesus here today because that's ultimately what it's about. And for some of us, our very souls are at stake because we've fallen into this lie that says that we can, we can do all the churchy things but be people of unforgiveness and we'll be okay with Jesus. That's not what Jesus says. And today could be the day where you could be set free. Set free from that bitterness and that rage and that hatred and that revenge and that isolation and come to the cross having been restored. You see, that's really what this is about. That's what communion is about. That's what worshiping Jesus is all about. 